Welcome back to episode number 245 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast we're building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we're talking about the difference between the UN flammable solids test and the STM E1226 exclusibility tests for combustible dust. And in particular, we're talking about a help desk question that came in through our system asking about these two standard testing methods. In particular, they're asking if can a powder that is deemed to be non-flammable as per the UNN flammability solids test, can that then be assumed not to be an explosion hazard? So in particular, if the powder fails and the UN recommendations on the transportation of dangerous goods, the test methods for flammable solids in there, can we assume that dust is then non-explosable? So that's what we're going to be talking about in this podcast episode. So why is this topic important? Well, there's a couple reasons. One, the UN test method includes a preliminary screening methodology that's relatively straightforward and simple to do to opt out of the requirements of determining if you have a flammable solid or not. And so I've heard it a number of times asked, then is this you know an easy and cheap and potentially cheaper way to determine if your dust is then non-explosable, assuming that if it's not flammable, then the dust wouldn't explode. And so uh, to kind of give the the ending away before we get into the story, experience has shown in many different cases that many combustible dust can produce a negative result in the UN test method, but can still be an explosible dust under industrial conditions. And this is really important because we need to avoid a false positive in determining whether or not we have a combustible dust on the site. That way we're not opting out of doing a dust hazard analysis or a risk assessment in the site until it's too late until the point after which an explosion occurs. So what is the UN test method for flammable solids? So we'll include a link in the show notes of this episode at dustsafetyscience.com slash 245. This is in the UN recommendations on transportation of dangerous goods. It's chapter 23 classification procedures and test methods for flammable solids. And so in this test method, the goal is to differentiate between materials that can be ignited those that will burn rapidly, and those that burn in a particular dangerous or violent manner. And so the test method has three different uh, approaches in there. There's a preliminary screening test, followed by a burn rate test, followed by a wetted zone test. And so the preliminary screening test, at least for organic materials, involves forming an unbroken strip of powder that's about 250 millimeters long and 20 millimeters high and 10 millimeters wide on a cool, impervious, low heat conducting base plate. A hot flame from a gas burner is applied to one end for a maximum of two minutes. And stated that if the substance does not ignite and propagate combustion either by burning with a flame or smoldering along the 200 millimeter powder train within the two minute period, so the entire powder train, then the substance will not be classified as flammable solid and no further testing is required. Otherwise, the full test program should be carried out. That's for organic materials, has slightly different requirements for metal materials and other materials as well. So if you get a positive test case here, then you move on to the burn rate test, which is similar except it uses a V-shaped mold that's 250 millimeters in length. And you actually measure the rate of burning down that mold. How fast is the burn, uh, does the material burn? How fast does the flame zone propagate down that material? And that way you can classify it. They also have a step where they apply a small wetted zone at a prescribed distance with a prescribed amount of wetting solution. 
and see if the burning can make it past that wet zone. So you have your burn rate test plus your wetted zone propagation test goes into classifying the burning characteristics of that material. So that is the UN test for flammable solids. And again, this preliminary screening test where you form the unbroken strip of a powder 250 millimeters long, um, apply a hot flame or from a gas burner to one end for a maximum two minutes and see if that entire material burns or not. That's the preliminary screening test. And if it's deemed not to um, pass that test, then it's not a flammable solid as defined by the standard. And so that's the question we're asking about. So in cases where we get a non-flammable solid here using this, this preliminary screening test, does that then mean that, that material also is not a combustible dust and not able to explode or deflagrate causing a flash fire or explosion? So before we talk about that, I want to switch our attention to the ASTM E1226 test method, which is the standard test methodology or standard test method for explosibility of dust clouds. And so this test method or testing documentation includes test methods for determining the maximum pressure and maximum rate of pressurize of a combustible dust sample. It also includes instructions for the standardized go, no-go screening tests that are used for combustible dust. So this typically uses a 20-liter spherical vessel. Dust is dispersed into the vessel from a reservoir that's pressurized. Pyrotechnic igniters are fired off in the center of the vessel after a specific time delay. And this is used to ignite the dust at a, a given concentration and turbulence level inside the vessel. Section 13 in this ASTM E1226 standard gives the parameters for the go, no-go screening test. So it says that you must use at least a 5 kilojoule ignition energy, start at a dust concentration of 1,000 grams per meter cubed, and then 2,000 grams per meter cubed if that does not ignite. It states that this is usually sufficient to determine if you have a negative or a positive result, or at least a, a negative result, but test labs can elect to test other concentrations based on their experience as well. And it does give a warning in here that materials classified as non-explosible using the screening test are not necessarily non-combustible. So this actually explicitly says in the ASTM standard that just because it fails this combustible or this explosion test doesn't mean that's not flammable. And in this case, this would could relate to the UN test for flammability. So when this question came in, like I said, we had quite a bit of experience with this already, but we did email all of the testing labs that are involved with dust state professionals, or several of them, um, just to get the results back. And anecdotally, we got some answers. We also got some quantitative answers and testing results fully demonstrating this case. So anecdotally, a couple examples were mentioned from the testing labs. One was sugar. So sugar in a pile will simply just melt and not propagate a flame. Otherwise, it would fail the UN test for flammability. But of course, we know sugar dust is explosible as per um, Imperial Sugar Refinery explosion and many other explosions that we see around the world involving sugar facilities or sugar mills. Other anecdotal tests that would potentially fail the UN test methodology for flammability but are also explosible include cornstarch and lycoponium. Other standard dusts that are, are explosible and can fail the UN test for flammability. These are other ones that were flagged by the testing labs. And one testing lab actually sent us um, example test data. So using ASTM E1226 for a fermented soybean meal, it had a positive test for go-no-go -no -go screening. Using the full ASTM procedure, it had a maximum pressure between 7 and 8 bar and a maximum volume normalized rate of pressurized or KST 
around 130 bar meter per second. So a moderately explosible material, um, certainly enough to uh, injure workers in a flash fire and destroy equipment in an explosion. But this same soybean meal had a negative test for flammability. It was unable to propagate a flame in the initial 200 millimeter strip of powder or in the V-shaped mold. And the statement from the report is the sample was glowing with no propagation during the burn rate test. The sample did not propagate the required 200 millimeters within two minutes to result in a positive outcome. So this is a, a quantitative, a specific example of a material that was tested using both methodologies in the test lab, was negative for flammability from the UN flammability test, and certainly positive as a combustible and explosible dust. So before closing out this episode, I just want to give a couple of thoughts on why this happens. It's pretty, I guess, common, or it's pretty easy to understand why somebody would go, oh, if that doesn't burn, then it might not explode. <laughs> um, you kind of think about that as making sense. And so there's a couple different things here. I mean, the, the science on this is a little bit more detailed than we're going to be able to get into in the podcast episode, but I'll give you some of the high-level overview. And that's the, the flammability test is driven in long-term reaction kinetics, so burning of a material on the time scale of many seconds, tens of seconds or minutes. Um, and most of the heat transfer in the flammability test is by conduction. You have material that is um, you know, sitting next to each other. You have this pile or this strip of dust. And so you have this long-term reaction kinetics plus the sort of conductive heating through the bulk material. That's governed by a bulk pile conductivity, which would be based on the density of that pile and the materials that are involved. So that's like the physical phenomena that we have in the reaction um, process for the flammability test. The explosibility tests are totally different. <laughs> it's a totally different mechanism that's happening there. So you have dust that's dispersed in the air. We have individual particles. Usually you're gonna have 10 to 50 radii between particles. So if you have a particle that's, a, as an example, 10 millimeters, then you'd have up to 100 millimeters until the next particle, and then up to 100 millimeters to the next particle. That depends on the dust concentration. I'm kind of making that 20 to 50 up, but that's sort of a typical range you might see. Um, you'd have to actually go calculate the material, calculate based on the concentration and density of the material to figure out what those distances are. But it's mostly air is the, the point at the end of the day. There's a lot of space in between those individual particles. When I say that, it's still optically thick. You, there's an old test. If you hold a light bulb on the other side of the dust cloud, you can't see through it. So you can't actually see through it, but it still is mostly air that's in between those particles. So that's a, a totally different mechanism. What's happening is one particle then is igniting and reacting very rapidly on a scale of, of maybe milliseconds or probably even tens or hundreds of microseconds is how fast the reaction is happening on that particle. And that's driven by, uh, it could be a number of factors, it could, whatever's slower. So it could be the devolatization rate, the heating rate of the particle. Um, it could be the reaction kinetics, could be several other steps. And then once that particle has a flame that envelops it, it needs to heat through convection or radiative heating all that air to the next particle and then all that air to the next particle. And if you get a case where you have enough reaction in the first particle that it can heat that next particle enough to react before burning out, then you'll get propagation. You'll get reaction from one particle to the next and you'll get a flame that propagates throughout that dust cloud. Uh, but those one the reaction connects are not on you know, tens of seconds or minutes, we're talking microseconds, 
or well, tens or hundreds of microseconds and milliseconds. And then we have this totally different mechanism how the reaction zone is propagating from one particle to another. Instead of conduction through a pile, it's convective or rate of heating through the spacing between the particles. So that's really why material can burn in one phenomena and, and not burn in the other or vice versa, is that they're really completely different physical mechanisms that are going on. It's not just does the stuff react, but what's the physical manifestation of that energy release during the reaction as well. And so that was a little more detailed than we normally get into on the podcast episode. We probably haven't gotten to that much detail since way back in episode 65 of the podcast that was called Effect of Particle Size on Dust Deflagration. Um, I spent a lot of time in my PhD thesis looking at the combustion phenomena involved with dust uh, explosions and deflagrations, and uh, that's a small piece of, of the material that's coming out there. But that will give you at least a, a general idea on why the mechanisms are different in terms of burning or having a reaction front through the dispersed combustible dust cloud. So that's it for this episode. We talked about the UN flammability solids test and ASTM E1226 explosibility tests for combustible dust. In particular, we had this question come in through the help desk. Can a material that fails the UN test method just be assumed to not be a combustible dust and not have a chance to have a, a deflagration or flash fire or explosion when dispersed in the air? And we talked through what the UN test methodology um, uses, what that covers, the STM E1226 methodology. We presented some discussion from the testing facilities themselves and some concrete test data showing anecdotal examples like sugar where you may not be able to actually get it to burn as a pile because it just kind of melts away. Um, but we know it's a, a combustible and explosible dust. And then actually quantitative data for the soybean meal showing that it is an explosible material, uh, but it did fail the UN test methodology. At the end, we talked a bit about the physical mechanisms involved and why we might not expect a dust that is explosible to automatically be deemed flammable and vice versa. Uh, there are really two different physical mechanisms that are occurring in these two different systems. So that's it for this episode of the podcast. Um, I do want to say if you enjoy these episodes where we dig deep into specific topics or have a help desk question of your own, just send it through to chris at dustsafetyscience.com. We always appreciate the feedback. We get a lot of good requests come in from our last couple episodes, and we are gearing up uh, new podcast episodes, cover those in the, the weeks and months ahead. And as always, I want to say thank you for listening to the podcast. I hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. I appreciate everything you're doing in the industry's handling combustible dust, making them safer without work you're doing out there every day. Keep it up out there.